Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents the Business First Podcast. Hi, all, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. And today we have an exciting guest in the studio. She is someone who has done a lot. And I'm always fascinated by people who have multiple talents and interests um, because we're often told to just focus on on one thing. And so I'm, I'm happy that she's here to talk about her broad talent, her broad interest, all that she's done, all that she's planning to do. Um, and, and that we can unpack some of her history and hopefully there will be great lessons for you to take away. She is a film, television, and Broadway actress who has also been a corporate professional and business consultant. She holds three degrees from MIT, Stanford, and Harvard. Um, she's about to, uh, she's been producing films. She started a production company. Um, please welcome Salma Kernan. Hi, Salma. Hi, thank you so much, Sonia, for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, And so, as I said in in the introduction, you have a broad range of of experiences. And so, if if we go back to when you were a little girl and you were trying to figure out what you want to be in this world, what was that? What what was going on in your head or what was going on in your family? Sometimes, you know, our families can can impact what we think we want to do in in life and um, until we kind of come into our own. So what was that like for you coming up and, and deciding how you were going to show up in the world today? How much time do we have? This is I think there's so much to unpack here for me because I grew up, um, I was born actually in the UK to Pakistani parents and we emigrated to the US when I was very, very young. But, you know, I was somebody who was in between worlds. So, you know, I was American, but also Pakistani and had that as my identity. And we would go back to Pakistan to visit our family quite often. So for me, you know, my dreams from when I was very little, so age four to five, what I can remember is that I wanted to be a singer. And in fact, I loved music and it was something that, you know, I always just invigorated me. So I knew that, you know, what I'd love, love to do in the future was, was just to entertain and started thinking about that. But, you know, with my parents being immigrants to the United States, we really didn't have any support when we were here and got here. We didn't have family when we were here. And my parents were very insistent that in having four girls, that we all were financially independent. And entertainment wasn't a path to that in terms of what they saw as successful. But what I would say is that my dad's father, my grandfather, was a film director, writer, producer in India and Pakistan in the 40s and 50s. But he passed away when he was in his 40s. So film was always in my family's bloodline, but it was something that had left my dad's family, for the most part, destitute. 
So the way and the path forward and what success meant for his family and also for my mother's family was education. And that pathway was either you're going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, because that's how you'll be financially stable. So that was absolutely passed on to me and my wow. sisters. Yeah. Um, even though we loved as a family to watch film, to, to sing and dance and reenact <laughs> different stories with our, with our dolls and, and things like that. So we had very active imaginations, but it wasn't something that was going to be pushed to the forefront for us from a career perspective. But I always had it in the back of my mind because I loved singing so much and then acting. Um, but like I said, you know, it, thinking about what the career path was going to be, it had to be within that doctor, lawyer, engineer path. And for me, I was very interested in honestly anything that I saw. So TV influenced me and, it, and film influenced me quite a bit. And what struck my imagination the most when I was, you know, a very young child was Star Wars. And in seeing that, it made me want to think of, you know, becoming an astronaut or becoming a scientist. And I had that dream for a while until I realized my eyesight was not good enough and I would never be a pilot. I wouldn't qualify for the space program. <laughs> and that was at about 12. And so then after that, you know, I started to think, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer because I used to watch a lot of Perry Mason. Right. And I knew that lawyers made money. And I used to ask you know, my dad's friends, what they did, how much money they made, just because we also didn't have, we weren't well to do growing up. We were very much middle class. And it was something that, you know, was, was prominent in my mind in terms of being financially independent and making a way for myself in the United States. So the, the ultimately, you know, what happened was I was very good at math and science one of my teachers told me that I should look into what an engineer does because I really had no idea. And I attended a society, a society of women engineers program for a weekend at Purdue university, because at that point we were living in Indiana near Purdue. And I went to that and I, what I realized was, Oh my goodness. So an engineer can actually build the spaceships mm. because it, like, as I said before, I was really interested in space and, and love science fiction loved, wanted to be an astronaut. But um, when I discovered, oh, I can build these, that's when I started looking for programs in engineering. But it, always in the back of my mind, I had wanted to act and sing. And so I was in the drama club in school. And when I went to college, you could either find me on stage with the student-run theatrical society at Stanford called, called Ram's Head, or you know, in the lab. So, so that was my path. I, I carried this dual, um, dual career for actually a long time. Well, it's, it's fascinating because the, um, the immigrant story, particularly those who have come to the United States, is, is usually the same, right? Where mm -hmm. the parents, uh, they didn't understand the creative uh, avenue for, for, um, for being able to maintain yourself. As you mentioned, it had to be medicine, uh, law or um, or engineering, and so. But it's interesting. What I've never heard in the immigrant story is someone to say that they did have a grandparent who was in the creative field. And so I would imagine in the 1940s that might have been your grandfather was somewhat of a pioneer in film in India. 
Yes. And in fact, he and his brothers had started a company called Fuzzly Brothers. And there they did look to make actually Muslim based, you know, stories as well, because they were Pakistani, they eventually became Pakistani after partition. But in India, they were Muslim filmmakers, which is also, you know, was unique at the time. But once partition happened, they moved their families to Karachi and Pakistan, um, at which point, you know, they continued to make films. But after my grandfather passed, that side of, you know, the family was, like I said, for the most part, trying to survive in other ways. Right. So one of the things we talked about in the introduction is that you are also producing now. And so um, in support of your, your grandfather's legacy, you started a company with a partner called Black Man Films. And what I thought was interesting, I, I watched the trailer for The Silent Partner, which you released in 2021, which is an interesting concept given what was going on in 2020 with the riots of George Floyd and, and us being locked down and watching all of the, um, the protests and, um, and all of the racial discussions. And so here it is, now you created a film where a black professional has defended a white woman who's killed a black teen. And this is his opportunity now because he's, he's, he's won this case for the law firm, it's his pathway to partner, um, which is, I can imagine is, and it's a short, um, but I, I think from what I understand, it's you are going to be developing this into a, a, a much longer feature because it's so common for corporate prof professionals um, to deal with all of the, um, the trauma, the uh, racism, the microaggressions, um, as they are building their career path. And so what was it at that time in 2021 that um, that you felt that you and your partner felt like this was a, a good film to release? And what is the message that you wanted people to take away from this? Yeah, fantastic question. So this film is the brainchild of Roderick Lawrence, who is my producing partner. And he and I had met the year before doing an off-Broadway play. And he started to understand my background in business. And I had told him that I'd never met a stronger storyteller and that anything he wanted to do in terms of theater work or anything beyond that, I was interested in coming on as a producer because I was absolutely going to champion the type of work that he was doing. So once the pandemic began, which was really right after we met, um, he called me in June and said, I actually have an idea for a short film. If you're serious about producing, I'd like you to think about this. And he pitched the concept to me, which is essentially he was going through his own, and he'll tell you this, his own mental health journey. And he wanted mm -hmm. to explore Black Ben's mental health. And what he discovered about himself was microaggressions, and that was affecting his own mental health. And wanted to tell a story that really showcased successful Black men and women in the workplace dealing with microaggressions and how that affected their lives, right? So for me, one, that was a, an, such a wonderful story to tell because in my own culture, in South Asian culture, you never talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. It's something that's swept under the rug. And in fact, my father was a psychiatrist 
And so that <laughs> is, wow. is actually unique, you know, from a South Asian perspective too, mm-hmm. in terms of the type of career you choose in the medical field. And so, you know, I was very drawn into the concept. My niece and nephew are also black. So my, my brother-in-law is black and here in the United States, they're going to present as black. And in fact, mm-hmm. and throughout the world, they'll be seen as black. So for me, it was very important to tell stories that change hearts and minds around, you know, what, what does it take for people of color to have success in a white world in which there's a lot of systemic racism and a lot of organizations that are just entrenched in it because of the history of the United States. So it's, it's very, you know, personal to me as well. So for those, you know, three reasons, I I immediately jumped on board one, because I knew the storytelling was going to be the strongest storytelling that I could partner with, meaning with Roderick Lawrence. The second thing was that it was about mental health. And the third thing that it was really about the black community and, and creating something that could showcase, you know, what people face on a daily basis. And in my own career in the corporate world, you know, I, I have experienced microaggressions, but not nowhere near to the point as what the black community will face and has faced. So that was also something that, you know, I knew I wanted to be involved in and to, to make it clear to, you know, also the Asian community that they also have a responsibility to raise their voices in situations in the workplace when they see things like this happen and not be silent. Um, just because they might be considered a model minority doesn't mean that they are going to be exempt from, you know, helping and allying, allying themselves with people who, you know, are facing some of these things on a day-to-day basis. So for me, it was, it, it's all, you know, very much, it was driven by the creativity of it um, as well as just the mission behind it. Yeah, the film has done extremely well at the um, mm-hmm. film festivals. And so, you know, during the creative process, you know, when you present something to the world, you you know, you you feel it's your best work, right? Because you mm-hmm. wouldn't put it out there if you didn't feel that way. But then it has to be received by everyone that you that you that you you know in the intended audience. And so, getting this feedback, getting the wins, getting the um, all of the positive reviews. Um, what does that feel like after you've particularly since it's it was such a hot topic um, story and such a um, um, emotional story? I mean, just even like I said, just from the trailer, um, you feel the intensity of the story. And so what does that feel like to get back such positive reviews on, on this work? It was very rewarding on a, on a, on again, a deep personal level, because what we wanted to do was drive conversation. And that was the point of this film. The point of the film wasn't to uh, say, oh, look at what, you know, this is a proof of concept for something larger, because at the time Mm -hmm. when we made it, it wasn't, it was something that we wanted to have discussions around. It was something that, you know, we were very passionate about. Um, what we enjoyed the most was doing the Q and A's 
at the film festivals because we could hear from the audience mm. what they felt and, and what their response was to that. And then hopefully give people the impetus to change behavior. So if they felt they were complicit in being a part of the systemic entrenched racism, what could they do to change their workplaces? What could, you know, how could they now speak up and out? And for people who, you know, are going through it on a daily basis, you know, for them, it's a release as well, right? And, and sharing their experiences, sharing their stories. That, I think, it had been the most rewarding part, not necessarily because you don't do anything. You don't create something necessarily for accolades. Right. But you create something because you want to engage in a conversation. At least that's the way I see it. And that's the way, you know, we at Black Men Films also see it is that we want to create and engage people in conversation such that it can be a catalyst for change. Um, the other thing that we realized in doing that was that people wanted more. <laughs> people wanted more of the story. They wanted to, to have to discuss it more. They were wondering about the relationships that were shown and showcased in the film. They wanted to know why somebody would take a case like that. They wanted to have a, a payoff <laughs> and see you know, the, the characters who um, are kind of perpetrating a yeah. lot of the things in the film. They wanted them to have a different type of ending, right? So what we decided once we started hearing these, the reactions was that, you know what, this actually is bigger than a short film. This mm -hmm. is either a series or it's a feature film. And since we did 21 festivals, we won eight awards um, or nominations. We also qualified for the Oscars at the end of the day. So with all of that, it, it, it just became clear that we needed to develop into something bigger. So we're actually in pre-production right now to shoot the feature version in December. Yeah. How difficult is it? Um, and, I, and I think for creatives like you, right, who create to impact feelings in people or to um, inspire people to change. How difficult is that in an industry where they just want the next big thing, where they just want the next hot thing? Um, and how do you balance that reality of, well, will this make money? Will people watch it? And I want to create something that people want to watch, but I also want it to have impact. Mm hmm it, it's a balancing, balancing act, as you said, meaning that as a creative producer, which I am because I'm coming at it from both a business background plus a creative background, you know, you have to develop something that is extremely, that you're going to be passionate about, first of all, because you're going to be living with it day to day for a few mm -hmm. years. <laughs> So it's something, something that you really want to tell and want to have a conversation about. And then make sure that you are producing at the highest level with the resources that you have. Right? And finding collaborators who share the vision and can shepherd that story. So being as very intentional as you can be with the things that make the story what you want it to be. And then from the business side, you start thinking about, okay, well, here's the story. What is the, the right audience 
for it? Where should it go? How should it be distributed? You know, the, what is the, the right sizing of that as well? Um, who, who do we need to collaborate on that side to make it work? What distributors should we contact? How should we market it, market this film? So it, it, there is a lot to, to balance because ultimately you don't want to, or at least we don't want to change right. our story because of a market that, you know, might demand certain things of us. So it, it's really for us about kind of keeping the purity of the story, keeping it unapologetic, keeping it authentic, shepherding that vision, because we don't want to change the the message that that story is is telling. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that that it is felt and seen and people are moved by it um, because it's a very original something that people are going to see and, and be extremely, I think, moved by, be, make them, they'll it'll make them think hopefully differently. And I think it's very needed and relevant. So for all those reasons, you know, when you are creating something that is art, you really have to protect it as much as you can. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, if you're making something that is extremely commercial and you're you're trying to make a quote unquote hit, <laughs> everybody's trying to make a hit. You know, there is no <laughs> there is no magic formula to a hit unless you know if someone had it, they'd be creating hits all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, we like I said are going to, are very intentional about the type of. Um, work that we're doing. We're intentional about who we're putting in front of and behind the camera because our mission is to elevate black and brown artists. So we want to make sure we're collaborating and finding those um, incredibly talented black and brown artists who are going to form the majority of our crew, the majority of our cast. And it is something that actually people are starting to demand more and more and more. So if you look at the UCLA Hollywood diversity report that just came out, you know, what it was saying was that at the box office, people of color actually show up more mm-hmm. at the box office and they are watching stories in which people of color are the leads or there's a majority of people of color in the cast. And that is a, is a shift in Hollywood mm-hmm. because even the demographics of the United States are shifting, right? So mm-hmm. quote unquote, minorities or people of color will no longer be a minority in the United States by 2045. They'll actually start becoming a majority. Right. But one thing when you look at that report that's striking is that the number of leads, leading actors in theatrical releases actually are underrepresented in the people of color category because they're, they're overwhelmingly um, white. 
So that's an area. And similarly with the directors and the writers, they're still overwhelmingly white in terms of when you look at um, the percentage of those categories. I think directors, I think it was said it was 83%. Mm-hmm. Writers was something on the order of 87, 88% were white oh. of the top, you know, 80, 89 films in 2022. So when people of color make up, you know, 43, 44% of the U.S. population today. Right. So it's incredibly uh, skewed. Yeah. Further to that, um, you, I noticed that you're also very passionate about when there is representation, that it's authentic, that, that it's, um, in fact, as, as you said, it's well-developed and well-rounded. Um, that's so important to diverse audiences who are showing up at, at the theaters. And so, and you mentioned that you actually had the opportunity to do that in one of the roles you played on Broadway in Life of Pi. And so tell us a little bit about um, that experience and, um, mm-hmm. and how you were able to um, make the, and again, for, for general audiences, they may not get it, but for those folks that are culturally connected, it's really important that the character that we do see, even if it's a glimpse of them, that they are, that they are authentic. I completely agree with that statement. The Life of Pi was such an incredible experience for me because it really is one of the few times <laughs> that I've played somebody who is South Asian. And, it, and when that is in fact my, my heritage, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. And part, I think of the reason is that there aren't one, there are not many, as many South Asian writers here in the United States mm-hmm. to write stories. Um, but two, people's conception of what South Asian actually is, is very skewed, I think, in the United States versus what, you know, somebody from outside of the country might think. But with Life of Pi, it was very comforting to me to actually get to play somebody who was very similar to me, which is she was a scientist. Mm -hmm. She was an aunt, so somebody who was also maternal. Um, and a teacher. And I got to also play my, the other secondary character in that track was also Muslim. So for me, it was very just satisfying to be able to have my Broadway debut be in that role, which allowed me to be my full self and actually bring my culture and bring my experiences to bear on the role. So it, it was wonderful to actually be in collaboration with the director and the playwright and the other South Asian actors in the cast to create characters that were very fully South Asian. Um, So for me, it was such a gift, like a career gift to be able to do that. And then also to be able to bring that to life on on a Broadway stage in fact, 17 of us made our Broadway debuts. And you can probably guess which, what was the majority ethnicity that made their Broadway <laughs> debuts in that show. <laughs> but it, we had the largest Asian American cast at the time um, when we were on, when we opened in March this past year. But it's an incredible run. Wow. We were nominated for five Tonys. We won three. 
And it was just a beautiful story about people from South Asia, but, you know, you could still relate to, to the story because it's something that was, you know, universal about family, about love, about hope, about survival, about, you know, PTSD and how to overcome, how to overcome any obstacles, even when we're in our darkest hour. So it, it very much resonated, could resonate with anybody who saw it. But I, right. I thought it was, it was very, very meaningful to me to be able to finally play um, a character that actually, you know, was very similar to who I am in real life. And so in the beginning, you know, we talked about all of your, your broad interest and, and um, your experiences, you know, you, you are an, an immigrant, um, you are culturally diverse, uh, you've worked as a scientist, you've, you've studied in these elite halls of education, you've worked in Hollywood, you've worked on Broadway. Uh, what do you think that all of these experiences bring to each new project or each new um, job that you take on? Because I think you still work as a consultant as well in, in certain areas. So what do you take from each place that is really impactful and that really makes you good at what you do? Well, thank you. The, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is the ability to be extremely resourceful and to come up with solutions and be very driven towards finding a solution to a problem. So what that means is that, you know, I am incredibly optimistic and relentless. I think those are two key characteristics of mine and enthusiastic, probably those three. And when I see a problem with anything, it's like, okay, how can I fix it? What are the options? What solutions are here? What's on the table? How can we be creative about it? So it's bringing that creativity into you know, understanding what's in front of me. So a lot of what I've done in the past has been project management. So when you talk about engineering, I used to be in a project management role. I used to work at AOL for a long time, again, in project management, but also in business development and strategic planning. I have my MBA, so a lot of, you know, interest and work in strategy. And all of those different things are really about problem solving, right? So it's how can you create be very creative in your problem solving and come up with solutions that are also going to work for everybody. So how can you create solutions that are uh, maybe to use something that's a, an overused phrase, a win-win solution for everybody who's involved and all your stakeholders, because that is what I like to do is figure out how can we all win in something together and have the same vision and march towards that vision and do it, you know, efficiently and quickly as well. But I do think having a great team is key to that. And that's what I've learned along the way too, is that you can't be somebody who does it by yourself. You have to have a great team beside you and with you. Some people who are very invested in, in that same vision, in that same mission. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who's who's similar to you, right? Who has um, worked in a lot of different places, um, is has 
because what, what's interesting about you is that you always knew that you wanted to be in entertainment, right? And you, you've gone a, a few different ways before you got there. And that's not unlike a lot of people. Some people, I've met many people who are still in, in their jobs, right? Wishing that they could do something else or still in a position and wishing that they could be somewhere else. And so what would you say to people who are doing one thing, but have a goal and a dream for something else, but they're not really sure how to take that next step where they don't feel the confidence that um, they could survive in a place because they don't have the exact experience that would be required to succeed. Essentially, I would tell them that it's never too late to start. You can always start at whatever point you are along your journey and that you do have to actually try in order to start feeling successful around that particular thing. So it's all learning, right? It's all growing. And so you have to be in a constant mindset of growth and learning and being willing to put yourself out there and being willing to fail, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have the opportunity of, of being able to fail, then that is something that's going to be a huge asset to you. And I am naturally a little bit risk averse. So, you know, growing up as an immigrant, you, right. I, I didn't want to be in a situation where I didn't know how I was going to eat the next day. I wanted to make sure I was financially independent. So for me, it was about doing theater on the side while I was working full time and continue to have a parallel path up until the point where I felt confident that I could give up the corporate job such that I could pursue the creative side more fully because mm -hmm. I had my finances were in order at that point. So I had to feel like I could do it and gave myself the mm -hmm. permission. But, you know, like I said, if you're working towards it, you can build towards it slowly. You can build towards it a little bit faster by putting 100% of your focus on it. But just start is, is going to be my answer and keep very, you know, stay open-minded, stay curious mm -hmm. and always learn because there's always something to learn um, right. that, that, and that's going to be, I think the key to success is being willing, like I said, to fail and being willing to learn from it. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about Speak Up Brother. That is the, the next film from uh, Black Man Films. Correct. It's actually out on the festival circuit right now. So okay. Speak Up Brother is a an ode. It's an homage to 90s Black love stories like Love, love Jones. Yeah, it was heavily inspired by, <laughs> by Love Jones, Love and Basketball, Poetic Justice. And it's a different type of film for us because our first film is very much in the drama thriller world and this right. one is a romance but it right. still explores mental health because the lead the main character in this particular short has anxiety in communication so it's also right. about how we communicate with people we love it so love languages is something in there as well as it focuses on black love in various forms, romantic love, sisterhood, brotherhood, but again, packed into 15 minutes. And so we've wow. now been on the festival circuit um, since March and we've been accepted to 11 festivals and our first nine festivals, we were, we either won or were nominated for five um, wow. best short awards. Yeah. So it, it's been an incredible run so far. Five of those 
11 festivals that we've been accepted to are also Oscar qualifiers. So hopefully this one will also be able to make an Oscar run next year. Wow, that is so exciting. And, and yeah. so how can, outside of the of festival circuit, is there a way to to view these films or see them? Or is it really just through the, the, the festivals until they get... It? I'm not sure of what the process is when you sure. enter. Okay, so if you could help us with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Which short films don't have a path to distribution necessarily. Um, that is something that features do. They have a stronger path to distribution. So people could see features a little bit more easily than shorts. So shorts typically are viewed on the festival circuit. And with Silent Partner, you know, no one can see that right now because we're developing the feature. Right. With Speak Up, Brother, that's still on the festival circuit. So our next festival is this Sunday here in Brooklyn at the Real Sisters of oh, the Diaspora. It's oh, are you so in Brooklyn? No, yeah, I didn't it's know. Here in yeah, so why wouldn't I come? Okay. <laughs> Please, I'll send you all the information. Okay. <laughs> but it's here at the theater at City Tech, just down the street from me. Oh, wonderful. On Sunday at 4.45 p.m. this okay. October 22nd. But then we're at the, I can't announce the next one yet. Okay. okay. But then we're not at another one, also in Manhattan, coming up after that. Um so though, but keep an eye out on our website, speakupbrother.com or Instagram at speakupbrotherfilm. Okay. And that's B-R-O-T-H-A. A, right. <laughs> okay. And there you can see where we, we are next. All right. And so what about for all of your projects? If people want to stay in touch with you or they want to see what Black Man Films is producing, they, or they want to be able to, to see um, Silent Partner when it comes out, like I, when in the, in the, uh, as, a, as a full feature, how can we stay in touch with you? The best way is Instagram. So yeah. at Black Men Films, LLC. Okay. Or at Silent Partner Film. And my personal Instagram is at Salma, S-A-L-M-A dot Q-A-R-N-A-I-N. Okay. So those are going to be the best ways. We also have websites dedicated right. to them as well, but most people are on social media versus click on the website. Um, but right. if you do happen to click on the website, you know, it is speakupbrother.com or silentpartner-film.com. Those are our two websites that'll have the most information in terms of where it's showing next. Well, thank you, Salma, for coming on and sharing all of your your background and your experiences. Um, we will definitely be following you and um, would love to have you back as these films are developing, as you're developing more films and yeah, crossing fingers for an Oscar win. Like that would be absolutely incredible. Um, and what's next for you in terms of acting? Where can we see you either on stage or in film, on TV? So right now, I just did a musical reading of a new musical called Tambourine. That was last week. But I'm heads down in pre-production for Silent Partner. So until okay. that's done, I'm not taking any more acting projects. Okay. And plus, you know, sag after we're on strike. And we don't right. have any TV or film coming up until the contracts are ratified or unless I join a production just like our production that would be covered under the interim agreement. Right. So for 
you know, the new year I'll be looking, but right now we're heads down focused on getting this feature up and running. And I would say in terms of our slate, we actually do have another project coming up that we were executive producers on and actually Roderick Lawrence stars in it, but our EP slash assistant director of Speak Up Brother, it's his directorial debut and it's called Harlem Fragments. And that should be on the festival circuit next year. It's a beautiful story about actually divorce and how it affects a young child. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we are, we, we have all the handles, so we will be following you and um, yes, much continued success. And we, we look forward to, to continuing this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I am glad to come back at any time. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next week with another dynamic guest. Take care. The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. On social media, on IG, at business underscore first underscore podcast. Follow the Mean Old Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean Old Line Media. Get the Mean Old Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Business First Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.